0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. Amen. It is all about Christ being magnified. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We've been in this uh, passage for the last uh, four weeks. Uh, We're going to finish it today, and then next week we're going to start our summer series, What the Bible Says About. Uh, As always, I provide these little green sheets. I only had four scripture references last week, so I made up for it this week uh, by quadrupling it or more. If you don't have one, they're on the table there. Feel free to get up. Uh, These are the scripture references that we go through just so that you can follow along and maybe uh, look them up uh, during the week. so... Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Before we begin, I just want to talk about the church for a minute. And I want to ask you a question. And that question is, why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? Now, the answer may be obvious and just may come off your lips. I come to worship God. And my follow-up question is, is that true? Is that really why you come to church? You see, I believe that Satan is very, very skilled at getting us to go through the religious motions, right? That's 8.30 or it's 11 o'clock on a Sunday. This is what I do. This is part of my weekly routine. And he gets us to go through these motions and forget the real reason for why we gather here together, I would imagine that on any given uh, Sunday, on, in any given church, that there are a number of reasons why people come to church. Once again, they may say, I come to worship God, but uh, there may be a variety of reasons. For some, it may be to, requ- uh, to fulfill some religious duty, right? To get the big man upstairs off of your back, or maybe to uh, score some brownie points with him to kind of earn his favor, for others, if we're honest, uh, we come because we love the fellowship. We love the people who are here. My friends are, are there. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's not the primary reason why we come to church. Still others might be dragged here, right? By a parent, uh, by a, uh, a believing spouse, or by a friend. Uh, you'd rather be somewhere else, but this is where mom and dad are requiring that you come today. For some, it might be the music. I just love the music that goes on in this church or any given church. That's why I come. I come to hear the music. I love the style of it. For some, it might be the speaker. I love to hear the speaker or whatever it is. I, I love the message. But the primary reasons for which we should come to church are, A, that we should be worshiping God. That's what we're here to do. We're here to magnify God, to say there is no God like you. And we're here to hear from his words. We are desperate to hear from his words man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of the mouth of god and we are also here to mutually encourage one another i look at sunday mornings as a kind of a time where we step away from the world for a few hours and we kind of regroup i would imagine that for most of us most of your week is spent with non-believers non-christians at work or in your neighborhoods or schools or whatever and this is the honest truth. The more that we start to hang around people who are not believers, the more we start to mimic their behavior. Maybe during the week you find yourself becoming a little bit more materialistic, um, maybe giving in a little bit more to sexual temptation or lust, or, or maybe uh, gossiping more like the world. And I think that we come to church, one of the reasons that we come to church is kind of to reorient and to say, man, I've drifted away from God. I've, I've drifted away from what he is desiring my life to look like. And so we come to remember that there is no God like our God uh, and that we should not love anything or any one more than that God. No material possessions, no pornography, no, no physical relationships, nothing. God is God and we should desire him more than anything. And so we come to worship that one true God. We also come to be with his people. Um, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can tell them how our week was, right? I mean, there's people in here I know who have had a really rough week. Other people have had a really great week and we should be able to come together and to say, here's what my week is and share the good, the bad and the ugly, right? With each other. We share the good so that we can rejoice with one another. That was awesome. Praise God for that. Wow, you got victory over sin and then that should encourage us to have victory over the sins in our life. But we also come to share those struggles as well so that we can pray with and for them and say, wow, so sorry that you you struggled so much with temptation this week, that you gave in this week. And we can admonish them in love and assure them that Jesus has covered your sin, past, present, and future, And in the name of Jesus and by the authority of the Holy Spirit, I can say your sins, although they are great, they are forgiven. We need that and encourage people, our fellow brothers and sisters, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Here's the bottom line, people. We need to be in each other's business. Okay, we need to be in each other's business This is not, we just touch base, say our little niceties, and then leave. We need to be in each other's business. This is not, these are not casual relationships that we're called to in the church. We're a family. We're fellow soldiers in God's army. And we're a body. We're a body. We're connected to each other in an irreversible way. We need each other. Finally, we come together to hear instruction from God's word, to live by his word. Uh, And we don't really know what to do unless God tells us. I mean, I hope that you come, like kind of like the imagery of a baby bird, like I need nutrition, I need to hear from God. And we just have mouths open, we have eyes, that we're praying that we have eyes to see what we can't see, ears to hear, because Satan wants to stop those ears. And so to that end, what we really need to do is we really need, on a Sunday morning, we really need to listen when God's Word is opened. And we need to put these things into practice. And if we don't do that, if you're just coming to just pass the time, then this is really a useless time. It is a useless time. We're here to hear from God's Word and to put it into practice. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit every week, Holy Spirit, what are you saying right now? What do I need to hear? Where do I need to be kicked into action? Where, where have I drifted away examine my life, see if there's any wicked way in me, any way that I've uh, strayed, and lead me in the path, in your path. So regarding Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, which we've been in for the last month, um, let me ask you, are you walking in humility? Are you walking in humility? Are you walking in gentleness? Are you walking in patience? Are you walking in love? If not, then what will you do to change that? And I hope that your your prayer, that the way that you do that is by crying out to the Holy Spirit to transform the way you think, the way you speak, and the way that you act. So I know that's kind of a long introduction, but these are the things that I think every once in a while we need to be reminded of, uh, because Satan just wants us to go through the motions, just sit there quietly, you know, pass the time, and then go out. You got a good meal coming, or there's a game on TV, or whatever. This is your religious duty. And so I just want us to make sure that we understand uh, why we're here. So let's read this passage today uh, and see what the Holy Spirit is telling us that we need to know. Ephesians chapter four, verse one through six is this, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all amen let's pray (laughs) father we just ask that you would send your holy spirit right now we pray that you would put the keep the enemy at bay I pray that he would not be able to snatch away what is taught today. Uh, I pray that as I open my mouth, that it would be your words. If they're not your words, then I pray that they would not be heard. But if they are your words, Lord, I pray, God, that, you, that they would sink deep into our souls and transform the way that we think, the way that we speak, and the way that we act. And we pray this uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're listening, you would have noticed uh, that seven times in one verse or in uh, three verses, we have the word one repeated. God has a message for us when something is repeated that many times. That message begins, I, be, uh, I believe, in verse three with unity, unity, unity. I want to tell you that this is the fourth sermon that I am preaching on unity in the past 12 months and the reason is is because Satan is always always seeking to divide God's church through the pandemic it was just so obvious that he was trying to do that trying to separate us from one another and so four times just had to stop the normal series and say we need to talk about unity we need to come back together. Unity is absolutely essential. It is key. If you were to read through Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, and we've done that, we've studied that, you would see that we are united to Christ. We are one with Jesus. That is amazing, amazing reality. If you were to go into chapters 2 and 3, you would see that we are also united to one another. Uh, God took people who were separate, people who were normally hostile towards one another, and he brought them and made one new person out of them. He took those who were far off and brought them near. He took us who are strangers and brought us into and made us members of the family of God. And so we see that we are united to him. We're united uh, to one another. There is a vertical and there's a horizontal unity that is going on and satan tries to convince us oh he tries to convince us that we are not united to christ look at the way that you just acted there's no way that you're a christian you're not united with christ jesus has not brought you near he has not made you part of the family he wants to do that and that's why twice in the first three chapters of ephesians paul stopped and prayed i really really want you to get this I'm going to go on, but I'm going to pray right now, God, please help them to understand who they are in Christ, that they are unified, that they are one. And then also Satan tries to seek to tear us apart, tear us apart. And that's why here in Ephesians 4, verse 3, he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That word eager means to be diligent. It means to be earnest, implying that it takes work, okay? It takes work. I would have to say that a lot of people in the church don't want to do the work that it requires. We take the path of least resistance, right? And once it starts to get hard, I'm out of here, right? I try to be unified with you, I'm out of here. Okay, when we don't do the work that is necessary, we need to be diligent. We need, it's, it's, it's work, it's hard work. Notice that we are not the ones who create this unity. We are called to maintain this unity. Uh, we are called to keep our eye on this unity as a guard would keep his eye on a city to keep it from being invaded or plundered, right? Because Satan is that foreign enemy who wants to come in and steal our unity. He wants to come in and divide us because he knows that if he can do that, that we will be weaker and that we will be less effective in the end. And that's all he wants to do. If he can silence a church, sweet, he's accomplished. The gospel is not going out anymore, good, good. That's what Satan wants to do. This theme of unity is actually woven throughout the entire Bible, starting in the very beginning. Uh, when God is creating mankind, it says this in Genesis 1 let us make man in our image. And most scholars uh, would agree, and I agree with them, that that us is the trinity father son and holy spirit there is a unity there there's a unity and purpose and planning that goes on there as we move into chapter 2 of genesis uh, God uh, creates a man and then he noted he he, he uh, says it's not good for the man to be alone and so he creates a woman and he brings her to the man and then you have this general statement that applies to marriages that will follow as a result of that and in genesis chapter 2 verse 24 it says this Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There is a unity, okay? There is a God created us in his image. God is unified. God is a community that is unified. And so now God is creating marriage, right? And there is a unity there. There is a community that is unified. They are one. Jesus talking about this marriage union in Matthew chapter 19 verse 6 says this, so they are no longer two but one flesh. And then I love what he says after that, therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. God has brought these two together, God has unified them, don't let anyone tear them apart. Finally, in his instructions to husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, 31, uh, quoting Genesis 2, 24, Paul says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's a physical marriage he's talking about. But then right, uh, right into verse 32, he makes a spiritual connection and he says this, this mystery is profound. That's the union between a husband and wife. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ. And the church. Okay, so there's a spiritual connection here. Just like the husband and the wife have been united, so we as the church, both individually and collectively, have been united to Christ. And just like no one should separate a man from his wife, neither should anyone separate us from God or us from each other. And ultimately, no one can separate separate us as true christians from god and ultimately no one can ultimately separate us from one another we are bound together this unity is created and maintained by the holy spirit which is why again in verse three he says be eager to maintain the unity of the spirits paul further speaks to this in first corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 and 13 when he says this for just as the body is one And has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with christ for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews or greeks slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit so here's what i want to say regarding that to not be diligent to maintain this unity, or to actively fight against this unity in the end is to actually fight against the Holy Spirit, okay? To not be actively pursuing this unity in the church or to be fighting against this is to be fighting against none other than the Holy Spirit of God. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, The body of christ let's talk about the human body for a second we've done this from time to time there's uh god has blessed his church with a lot of medical students um and so uh, here's what we know about the human body that when it comes out of the womb it's naturally unified right no assembly required right you ever notice that right it's not like oh there's supposed to be two arms where's the other you know it's just like you're not putting it together it comes out perfectly unified And the organ systems of the body as well, from the nervous system to the digestive system are all working in perfect harmony. We don't have to tell our kidneys. I don't wake up every morning and I'm like, kidneys, please remember to tell the heart to pump the blood down to you so they can filter all of the impurities out of the blood, right? You don't have to do that. It does that automatically. That and a thousand other large and small functions go on 24 hours a day, seven days a week throughout your whole life without you telling them to do that. Now, there are things that disrupt the otherwise unified activities in the body. Okay, a couple of them might be poor nutrition. Okay, that's going to disrupt uh, the body's function or um, uh, maybe dangerous behavior, right, that may cause uh, 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 harm to the body or disease. And we could really spend a a sermon on each of these, uh, taking uh, these uh, illustrations to the nth degree just quickly. Poor nutrition would be bad teaching in church. There's a lot that goes on today, or it would be no teaching. If you starve your body, if you're not in the word of God, if you're not listening to the teaching of the word of God, you're not going to be able to function. Okay, um, Dangerous behavior might be loving the world and the things of the world, flirting with sin. Those things are going to cause the body to be damaged. They're going to affect the unity in the body. But I want to focus in on the diseases of the body uh, because it fits with what we're talking about today. And just one in particular, there's a, um, a group of diseases which are known as autoimmune diseases. Uh, An autoimmune disease is you have uh, what's known as an immune system in your body and your immune system is a gift from God. It's a wonderful thing. What it does is it identifies foreign uh, uh, invaders in the body and it targets them and then it destroys them. It identifies bacteria that shouldn't be there or viruses that shouldn't be there and it attacks them. And that's a really, really good thing because it heals you. It, It helps you to be healthy. But every once in a while and some people what happens is that immune system begins to target cells or organs in the body that actually should be in there but it identifies them as the enemy and it wipes them out one of the classic examples of this is the pancreas when the pancreas is attacked and it's wiped out and it no longer produces insulin It no longer regulates the sugar in the body. And anyone who has ever struggled with diabetes, you know that it is horrible, right? It affects all of the systems of the body. It limits what you can do. It's the body attacking itself. And you're like, what in the world? And yet that's what often happens in the church, right? We're living as a body. We're functioning as a body. And then what we do is we turn on one another and we start to wipe out one another. And the results are always, they're always disastrous. They're always disastrous, and they, they, they hinder our function in this world, and our effectiveness is severely limited. When this happens, what, when, when a church, when disunity starts to infiltrate a church, what happens is that the church moves from mission mode into survival mode, okay, from mission mode to survival mode. And we're not talking survival from external persecution. Oh, they're trying to wipe us out as a church. The persecution is coming. No, we're talking uh, survival mode because of the internal conflicts that are going on in the church. We don't have time for mission anymore. We got to do healing on the inside because we're fighting And it's so very sad and yet it goes on all the time because we don't take the command seriously to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Our attitude often is this, I will do this as long as nobody makes me mad, right? I'm all about unity until you make me mad and then we're gone, right? That's often what we do. Once again, if you are not eagerly fighting for unity or you're actively fighting against it, you are actually fighting against The Holy Spirit, plain and simple. And you're not just fighting against the Holy Spirit, you're actually fighting against the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because all three are mentioned in our text. Beginning in verse 4 of Ephesians 4, he says this There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Holy Spirit. Do you remember the Holy Spirit? He's the one that, according to Ephesians 1, Uh, 13 and 14 is the one who seals us. He's the one who assures us of our one-day inheritance. We've already talked about the body, but let's briefly talk about the fact that we've been called to one hope. That hope that we have been called to is Christ-likeness. We are called to reflect his character. Back in verse 1 of Ephesians 4, he says this, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That calling is... Is easy. It's found in the Old Testament and it's found in the New Testament, and it is this it is God speaking and saying, Be holy, for I am holy. That's what our calling is. Be separate from the world. We need each other for this. We need each other for this. You need me to point out sin in your life so that you can deal with it and better reflect the character of God. And I need you to point out sin in my life so that I can deal with it and better reflect the character of God as well. Those sins, whether known or unknown to us, what they do is they hinder our mission. And we can't afford to be hindered, we can't. The stakes are too high. According to Matthew chapter 28, We have all, as Christians, been commissioned to go and make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that Jesus commanded. We're also told in Ephesians chapter 6 that this mission will not be easy because Satan will oppose us every single step of the way. He hates us. He wants to silence this mission. Therefore, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we are to lay aside sin, those sins which so easily entangle us. We are to be holy or to be holy. Holiness is one of the ways that we witness To the unbelieving world. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said this in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, your holiness, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In this body called the church, we are called to be holy, functioning in a way that God has designed us to function. When we do that, I believe that nothing, absolutely nothing, is impossible. When we are living a holy life, nothing is impossible. My wife often talks about dreaming big. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not a big dreamer, you know. She talks about dreaming big. And here's what I want to ask you. As a church, do you want to dream big? Do you want to dream big? I'm talking all 50,000 people in Galveston naming the name of Christ, bowing the knee to Christ. Do you want to see that happen? It begins as we begin to reflect the character of God as we live holy lives. And we all take part in this. We are to urge one another uh, to live holy lives. Hebrews ten twenty four says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works or holiness. Eagerly maintaining unity in the church is to be working in concert with the Holy Spirit of God. When you are all for that, when that is your mission One of your missions, you are working in concert with the Holy Spirit. In addition to the Holy Spirit, you're also working in concert with Jesus, the Son, when you and I eagerly seek to maintain unity in the church. Remember Jesus? He's the one that according to Ephesians 1, bought us back from the bondage of sin. He is the one who has forgiven us from all of our sins by the sacrifice of his own life on the cross. He's the one who took us who were far off and brought us near. He's the one who took us who were separated and aliens and made us into the family of God. The son is spoken of in verse five of Ephesians four, where it says this one Lord, one faith, one baptism. First of all, he is Lord, all right? Which means he calls the shots. Remember Jesus said this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I command? Right? You're just, it's just words at that point. He is Lord. He calls the shots. His desires are our commands. He is my Lord, and He is your Lord. You realize that we don't have a bunch of different Lords giving us a bunch of different commands. We have one Lord giving us all the same commands. And He is our Lord, Lord because we have placed our faith in him. There's also one faith. Uh, We are all welcomed into the family of God by the same faith. It's by believing in Jesus. As a Christian, you believed in Jesus. As a Christian, I believed in Jesus. And we're both saved by faith. You're not saved in a certain way and I'm saved in a different way. We're all saved in the same way, the same faith. This unifies us. As a result of this one faith, we are all baptized into one baptism. Uh, we, see this, uh, we saw this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, when we read, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Baptism is an identification. You are identifying with someone. When you're baptized into Christ, you are identifying with him. Your old life is done away with. Paul speaks to this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. To be crucified means to be killed. I'm dead, and now I'm raised to new life. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You are a new person. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. You are baptized into Christ. Jesus prayed for this unity. Uh, this is amazing to me. In his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus is hours away from the cross. Hours away from the cross. And he, as he's going through this emotional pain of, of, of being separated from the Father and what that looks like, which is crazy to think about, right? As he will cry out those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does he do? He stops and he prays for us. He prays that we would be unified, that we would be one. In John 17, beginning of verse 21, he says this, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Do you get the point, right? He keeps saying it over and over again. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. He is praying for unity. Why is he praying so desperately? Because he knows that Satan will try to tear us apart. And what we also see in this, in in, in addition to unity, we see evangelism once again, right? As they're living this out, the world will take notice. And here's what what you need to know. When we truly live as one, the world will take notice of that. And the converse is true as well, when we're not living as one. The world will take notice of that, and they will say Christians are no different from anyone else. Why in the world would I join the church? Why would I throw myself into the conflict that's going on in there? So eagerly maintaining unity in the church is working in concert with Jesus the Son We demonstrate that we are unified with him. We also demonstrate that we are unified with one another as well. Finally, eagerly maintaining unity in the church is working in concert with God the Father as well. Remember him? He's the one that in Ephesians 1 has blessed us. Us is plural, right? The church, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He did not hold anything back from us. He lavished it all upon us. The Father is spoken of in Ephesians 4, 6, where it says this one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. First of all, He is God. He created us by implication. That means He owns us. Uh, He is a Father in that He loves us, He protects us, He provides for us, and He is there every time that we need Him, which is all the time. He is always there for us. We've said it before, you don't have to make an appointment with Him, right? I can get you in on Thursday around 1. No, He is always there for us. As God and Father, He is first, according to the text, over us. Uh, which once again means he rules over us. He is the one who calls the shots. We are in his family. We live under his house rules, right? You've, maybe you've said it as a parent or you've heard it. As long as you live under this house, right, you abide by these rules. He is our father. We are under his house rules. And let me remind you that his rules are never arbitrary, And his rules are never there to steal our fun. We've said this many times before. God does not look down and say, oh, they're having fun. I'm going to make a rule against that. God wants to maximize our joy. He wants to maximize our happiness. And so whenever God says don't, there is a reason for it. There is a reason for it because he sees what you can't see. You see temporary, quick satisfaction and he sees lasting pain. And he says, don't do it. I'm doing this for your own good. Note also that we all have, we all have the same Father. We all live under the same rules. We all have received the same promises, the same provisions, the same protections. We all receive the same love, the same forgiveness, the same mercy, the same grace. We all receive the same inheritance. We have one Father, he is also through all of us. He is over us. He is through all of us. He accomplishes his purpose purposes through the instruments of us believers. This is in keeping with Ephesians 2.10, which says that we are his workmanship. We are his artwork created in Christ Jesus for good works, which the Father has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He is working through us. And since God is the one who provides the power for us to do good works, he is the one to receive all of the glory for the good works that we do. Which takes us back to Ephesians chapter four, verse two, when we talk about the walk of humility. All that we are and all that we have is because of the father. What he has done for us, what he has given to us. Therefore, there is no room, absolutely no room for boasting or elevating ourselves above others. The father works through all of us we all have a part in his family we all have a function in the body some may be eyes and uh, ears and a mouth others uh, maybe kidney or a digestive enzyme it doesn't matter they're all important right i would venture to guess that throughout the week most of us don't think about our digestive enzymes but if you took them out of the body you would think about them you really would okay and so once again, there's some people, it's like, ah, it's this, this gift, this gifting, this, this isn't important. No, they're all important, whether big or small. We are a body, and we need everyone for the proper functioning and effectiveness of the body. Finally, the Father is in all of us. He's over, through, and in all of us. And this really just shows the utter tragedy of disunity. And here's what I mean by that. For God to dwell in someone and for me not to want to have anything to do with them really says a lot, right? For God to dwell in a brother or sister in Christ and me to not want to have anything to do with them says a lot. If you're at odds with someone, realize this, that the same God that lives in you also lives in that person that you really can't stand and that you want to have nothing to do with right now. It's the same God that lives in them. And here's the thing, is that he knows their sins way better than you do. He knows way more than you do about their sins. And yet he still has forgiven them. He still has brought them near to himself. He still rejoices over them with loud singing. And according to Hebrews, Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brother or his sister. And yet, are we? Are we? That's why disunity is so destructive and contrary to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In the list of the seven sins that God hates in Proverbs 6, 14 through 19, the very first one is pride, and the very last one is the one who sows disunity among the people of God. If you've ever read the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, you would notice that the Corinthian church was a messed up church, a really, really messed up church. Uh, He deals with some really gross sins in there that he says not even the pagans, not even unbelievers are doing these things. And he addresses one thing after another, but the very first thing that he addresses out of all of those sins is the sin of disunity. Y'all are divided. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Is Christ divided? What's going on? He just comes out guns blazing in chapter one, hits it again in chapter three. And if you look at the commands that go through the, the problems that he raises in the rest of the chapters, a lot of them deal with the disunity. You're suing one another. What are you doing? That's crazy. You're coming together and some are eating these luxurious foods and other people don't have anything to eat. You're separating yourselves. What is going on? And then he's got that great chapter in there, love, the love chapter. Unity is absolutely essential. Jesus died so that we could be one. All right, so what do we do with this? How do we maintain this unity? Let me urge you, first of all, uh, that in your pursuit of obedience to this command, that you're not motivated by guilt, okay? Okay. You're not motivated by guilt. I'm not here to lay a guilt trip on you. I, I, Man, if that's what Satan's trying to convince you, that's not what the point is. You shouldn't be motivated by guilt. The, the, we're told that the word of God cuts us open. It cuts us open so that it can, can expose us, so that we can deal with that stuff. Uh, you should do these things because with them comes peace, with them comes purpose, and with them comes power. Uh, having said that, the first thing, that we can do to maintain this unity is to recognize that we don't do it in our own power. You don't do it in your own power. This is not, I need to try harder. I need to try harder. No, this is the Spirit's work. He's the one who created the unity. He's the one that maintains the unity. And so tap into the Spirit's power. How do you do that? You do that through prayer, constant prayer. God, this person is really irritating me right now. My tendency is I just want to fight against them. I want to push them away. Holy Spirit, that's not what you desire. You've told me to preserve the unity of the Spirit. You need to help me right now. You need to give me the power. You need to give me the words to say right now. And I know a lot of times when I say, we do it through prayer and you got to depend on the Holy Spirit. You're like, yeah, 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 I got that. But do you really? Do you really? I would say the old saying, the proof is in the pudding, right? What does your prayer life look like? You actively and constantly, God, Help me, help me, help me uh, to live out these commands. Second thing in preserving this unity is uh, recognize that even though we are one, we are also very, very diverse. We're also different. We're going to get to this after the summer, um, after our summer series in uh, the fall. But go with me right now to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Ephesians chapter 4 Uh, Verse 8. Remember, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 is all about unity. One, one, one. Be diligent to maintain that unity. And then he comes to verse 8 and he says this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Skipping down to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Those are all separate groups. Those are all separate giftings. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Do you see what's going on in this passage? We are one, but we're also very diverse. We're many, but we're many and we're diverse for the purpose of being what? One, right? One, diverse for the purpose of being one. One. This takes us back to the illustration of the body. The human body is one. It is one unit. You're here today and you are one person. But in that one person, you have many different parts of the body, hands and feet and ears and eyes and kidneys and lungs and all sorts of stuff. There's many, many different parts, but all those parts are working for the one. They're working to make you one. None of them go off on their own. This means that we're all different. We all have different gifting in the church. And we're to use those giftings, the way that the Holy Spirit has empowered us and gifted us uh, to fill a specific role and a specific function in the church. It's also noteworthy to know that we're created in the image of God, right? God is a community. God exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is one, and yet He is diverse as well. And if you look at the Bible, you will see that each of the Persons of the Trinity have a distinct role, a distinct function, right? We've said this before. It was not the father who came down and died on the cross. It was the son, okay? They have a different role, but they are working in perfect, perfect unity and harmony. And we are called to do the same. In addition to this, if you think about it, you look over the church, we all have different personalities, right? We all have different passions. We all think and problem solve in different ways. Some people like to be with lots of people all the time. Some people usually don't like to be with anyone ever, right? They just want to be, leave me alone. Don't make eye contact with me, right? We have different kind of personalities there. Uh, also, some hate confrontation and some, you look at them, they just seem to love confrontation. They don't mind it at all. They're willing to walk right into it. Uh, some, to be, uh, some seem to be hard on the exterior and others seem to be soft on the exterior. We're all different, right? we're all different and God has placed all of those different people into one church one local church right and God knows what he's doing he did that for a purpose and those differences in us those differences in gifting those differences in personality should unite us they should not divide us they should unite us they should say Man, I'm super strong in this area but really, really weak in this area. I'm so glad that this person is so strong in this area and even though they may be weak in this other area. Here's thinking about myself. Uh, I consider myself to be very approachable. Um, I think that I uh, am inviting with my personality and I celebrate that about it. But at the same time, I'm also a people pleaser. Okay, I care too much about what people think. Therefore... Because of that, I may not say things to people the way that I should say them or confront their sin in the way that I should, because I really want you to like me. And if I confront, if I bring this out, you might be like, oh man, I don't want to hang around him anymore. And I'm like, oh, it's about me. It's about me, right? And so that's a fault of mine. That's something that I struggle with. I don't want people to withdraw from me. So I need people in the church Uh, who surround me, who are, to put it crassly, who are unmoved by other people's emotions, right? They don't care about what other people think, right? But they need me to come alongside of them to ensure that they are speaking the truth in love or at least that it's being received by the person they're speaking to in love, right? Because there's a lot of people who are misunderstood. They just come across as as crass and just as hard and people, it, it may push people away. And you need other people to come along and say hey no, no 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 i know this person i know her heart i know his heart they love god this is just how this is just how they come across and so we need those people we are a difference we're diverse by design and that's a good thing and so you need to know the people around you so that you can encourage them and so that you can also admonish them once again using myself as an example someone might encourage me by saying hey i love the fact that you are so uh, welcoming, that you are so approachable. That's a great quality to have in a shepherd. But at the same time, they might come and admonish me and say, make sure that in your pursuit, you know, to make sure that everyone likes you, that you're not compromising truth. And make sure that you are not drawing people to yourself as their savior, but that you're pointing them to Christ, right? Because ultimately that's what it is. I want you to like me. I will solve your problems. And it's not me who's doing that. So if someone would encourage me in that way and admonish me in that way as well, we're all different for a purpose. Third thing that I wanna say in maintaining this unity is um, do it quickly. If you know that there's a problem that you have with someone or a conflict, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? Which means deal with it quickly. Um, I know that for some, once again, that's easy others it's not easy Uh, some seem to just run into conflict where others just avoid it at all uh, costs if the holy spirit brings someone to mind that you are not currently walking in unity with don't don't quench the spirit ask him say okay this is the person give me the words to say give me the courage to go up and to tell them there's something going on between us there's some disunity between us we need to work this out. We need to work this out. Ask him to do that. Ask him for the power. Because here's the bottom line. We cannot settle for 99% unity in this church. We can't. We can't settle for 99% unity. If we want maximum effectiveness, then we need maximum unity. You can't be like, I'm good with you know, 87 people in the church, but just this one. I'm not good with them, but I'm okay with that. No, it's everyone. Everyone we're to be unified with. Finally, and there's so much more that can be said, but that phrase that says the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace in verse three, uh, how do we maintain unity? You maintain unity by being a peacemaker. You maintain unity by being a peacemaker. Uh, We all want peace. We want peace with God and we want peace with one another right? It would be nice that if someone walked in the room, you wouldn't be like, oh, they're here, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if there was no divisions with us, that we are at peace with everyone? We get the peace with God when we believe in his son for salvation. We are justified, we're declared righteous, and we therefore have peace with God according to Romans 5 verse 1. We get peace with one another when in the power of the Spirit we ourselves become peacemakers. A peacemaker is characterized by several different things. And what I want to do, uh, I don't normally read long passages, but uh, I was reading a commentary this week uh, from Kent Hughes uh, on Ephesians, and I just thought that he got it right. So I just want to end with reading what he says about being a peacemaker. And I really, really want you to listen to it. I really, really want you to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me right now. Let me know, am I being a peacemaker? Am I doing these things? So here's what he says. To begin with, a peacemaker is characterized by honesty. The prophet Ezekiel warned against those who act as if everything is all right when it is not, who say peace when there is no peace. Such individuals, according to Ezekiel, are merely plastering over cracks or cracked walls. When the rain comes, the walls fall. The peacemaker is painfully honest about the absence of peace in the world, in the society, in which he moves and in his own personal relationships. He admits when he is at odds with others. He doesn't pretend that things are okay when they are not. This is how it speaks to our condition. All of us tend to putty over the cracks. Even in our most intimate relationships, we tend to act as if everything is fine when it is not. But our avoidance heals the wound only slightly and prepares the way for greater trouble. May God help us to be honest for the stakes are high. Next, a peacemaker is willing to risk pain. Anyone, anytime one attempts to bring peace both to the society or personally, he risks misunderstanding and failure. If we have been wrong, there is a pain of apologizing or we may have to endure the equally difficult pain of rebuking another. It is so much easier, we think, to let things slide, but that is not the way of a peacemaker. These two qualities of peacemaker honesty about the true status of peace and willingness to risk pain in pursuing it beautifully anticipate the next quality, which is a paradox, the peacemaker is a fighter. The peacemaker makes trouble to make peace. The scriptures enjoin the aggressive pursuit of peace, telling us to pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding, Romans 14:19. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, Romans 12:18. St. Francis of Assisi understood this call to be active uh, to the active pursuit of peace as he as his prayers beautifully recalls, he says this, Lord, Make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hate, may I bring love. Where offense, may I bring pardon. May I bring union in place of discord. Though the peacemaker is a fighter, he is not thoughtless or pugnacious. Rather, his character and personality are to be permeated with the shalom or the peace of God. He is gentle. The peacemaker is tolerant in the best sense of the word. He realizes we all we are all of fallen stock, so does not demand perfection of others. He is humble and is most of all, he is loving. How beautiful true peacemakers are. Filled with peace themselves, they are honest about the state of the relationships around them. They are honest about what is in their own hearts and sensitive to where others are. They refuse to say, peace, peace, when there is none. They are willing to risk pain and misunderstanding to make things right. Peacemakers will even fight for peace. Are we like this? Let me ask you, are you like this? And my prayer is that we would be like this. My prayer is that right now the Holy Spirit is stirring up in you someone that you are at odds with in this church or another brother or sister in Christ outside of this church that you would say I need to take care of this now. I'll say it again. We are called into the most important mission in the world and the only thing that will hinder our effectiveness is is when we fight against each other. That's going to hinder us and so we have to be at peace with one another and I pray that we will for the glory of God and for the good of this area and beyond. Let's pray. Father we thank and praise you for who you are and I just pray Holy Spirit that you would that you would kick us where we need to be kicked Lord that you would kick us into action and I pray God if there's any divisions in this church right now anyone who is at odds with someone else Lord I pray that you would give us no rest until we Uh, get that right until we are actively pursuing and fighting for, if you will, unity among ourselves. Lord, you died to purchase the church. You gave your all so that we could be one. That was your prayer, that we would be one. I pray that we would work in concert with you, with the Holy Spirit, and with the Father. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.